Hi, I'm Bethany, and I'm on a journey of discovering what loving oneself actually looks like. I want to invite you into my process, hear some of my crazy stories, as well as hear some amazing people with wisdom and insight give their take on what it looks like to love yourself well, and in turn, be able to love people well too. Come on, let's go. Well, hi again. Welcome back to Like Me, Like You. Um, Ended up skipping a week. I'm so sorry about that. We had uh, some uh, illness fall on uh, our house, and I live with uh, two friends of mine, and unfortunately, uh, we had to shuffle and kind of dissipate so no one was around the other and all of that jazz. So I uh, lost track of time and did not get to record uh, an episode for last week. So if you are a loyal listener, all all five of you, I am so sorry and want to apologize uh, for not having an episode last week. But um, I am, of course, recording today. It is a rainy rainy Sunday. It's been raining all day. I've been just napping on and off all day, which is just wild. I'm usually not a napper, but I am now staring out the window at the rain and decided to go ahead and get some recording done and share some stories with you all uh, for next week and beyond. Um, I've been uh, really busy with work. I uh, work for a grocery store that is a a quirky, fun grocery store um, that is Hawaiian themed. (laughs) I won't name names, but um, I'll let you put the pieces together. Uh, It's a fun place to work. It's got a different vibe to it. Uh, People usually don't know about us or they love us. There's really no in between. And we are opening up a new store. And I was picked as one of the managers to go and open the new store and start. And uh, it has been a real fun uh, and exciting learning experience, but also a lot of hard work. So I have been uh, busy, been working a lot of hours and doing a lot of things. So uh, just taking the opportunity on a rainy day to nap and (laughs) veg out on the couch and that sort of a thing. So um, I also have some news in my own personal life. I uh, have been living with the same two friends for the past two years, and we've decided, uh, two of them have decided that they are going to chase some adventure and do some different things. So two friends of mine that I've been living with for the past couple years are heading uh, into different areas and heading to, out different ways, and a new friend that I've met previously, just meeting for coffee and getting to know, um, Uh, She's an Australian friend of mine, and she is moving in. So uh, I have a new location, working with a new group of people, training a bunch of new crew members to work with us. I have my, uh, I guess, the solace of home of what's been normal for me for the past two years is now up in the air. Uh, People are transitioning out. People are transitioning in. Um, I won't also go into too much detail, but I have been talking to a fella. And so there has been lots of transition in my life, lots of unknown variables being presented to me. And it's really just made me think about the tension of the unknown. Like when you are in 
tension of things are changing and some things you can't control and some things you can and other parts of change and and transition are people in and out of your life or the people closest to you are having to transition and change in areas and that's out of your control out of your grip and so um it's the discomfort of just kind of like sitting to wait I can remember as a funeral director we had a like a saying and it was kind of a joke of like well Let's hurry up and wait. And it's basically doing what you can do within the realm of what you know. But for the most part, sometimes you can only go to a certain step and you have to stop and wait. You either have to get clearance for something else. You're waiting for a family to make decisions. You can prepare on your end for as much as you can. But, you know, it all depends on other avenues and other aspects that you just don't have control over. And I think um, if the pandemic and coronavirus has taught me anything, especially working in uh, working in and with the public during a pandemic. Um, it's that people do not like losing control of things. I mean, even basic control to its base, stripped down to its basic form, people uh, do not like being out of control, you know, and I, I run into this all of the time at work currently in grocery stores. Um, even if we, what we call re-merchandising a section of the store, that's literally like, I don't know, take snacks, like something so mundane. So, um, so not important when it comes to like grocery list, you know, it's not your basic food that you need for survival. It's not a meat or a protein or a vegetable or a fruit or whatever. It's just, it's a snack. It's a plus. It's an added. It's for enjoyment, that type of a thing. And so, you know, we will constantly try to better ourselves and constantly try to update and keep things looking fresh and new. And sometimes that looks like re-merchandising a section, which is just means reorganizing where the products go. And it's just to give it a new face and make room for new items and, you know, get rid of old items that aren't coming back, like that sort of a thing. And people flip out. How can you do this to me? I hate when you guys do this. I don't know where things are. I can come. I've been shopping here for 12 years. And, you know, you can and you on the outside feel like, God, this person's response to this is way bigger than the problem. You know, have you ever met people like that where their response is this blowout is so much bigger than the actual problem. And it's because it's something way deeper than that. They're not, you know, they're annoyed that we changed, you know, where the snacks are. But what they're really annoyed with is they feel dumb. They feel shame because they can't find what they're looking for. All of a sudden, what was known to them is no longer known. And so people's response to the unknown is wild. And I was faced with that almost on a daily basis sometimes and tried to work above it and sometimes failed, you know? So, you know, I would try to remind the employees that I worked with as well as myself. I reminded them because I needed to remind myself just as much of like, hey guys, remember, like we don't know what people are going through. And for the most part, people are angry and they're not angry with you. They're angry at something way bigger and unfortunately, like we're the whipping post right now at the moment, like, you know, which is a bummer, but it's the truth. It was just a reminder to try to keep our heads up, 
you know, uh, don't let somebody shame you, but also show grace and compassion because people are not in control of their lives right now. You know, we, we saw that through the whole like shelter in place and mask mandates and, um, you know, vaccine, vaccine mandates now and all of that stuff. And I'm not going to get political and I'm not going to get into anything like that. But bringing that up, what I realize is, you know, there is fear on both spectrums. And one fear is a fear of death. And the other fear is a fear of loss of freedom. But it's still fear. You know, it's fear either way. And it's fear of the unknown. And it's fear of what if. And um, people don't like losing control. And it was the same in funeral service. I saw it all of the time. It was interesting meeting with families. In my previous uh, episode, I talked about arrangements conferences, which is basically an appointment that we would make with the family. We tried to make it as soon as possible after the death of a loved one um, to have them come in and sit down and and, uh, plan services. Sometimes people were organized. They knew this was coming for a long time. You know, a family member was on hospice. Someone was, you know, grandma was 97. Um, sometimes it was not. It was a son that was 31 years old found in the basement or a teenager that, you know, unfortunately decided to take his own life or a child that was left in a car in a hot summer day or, you know, you name it. It, it was um, a devastating meeting at every turn. Uh, I can remember meeting with a family of a teenager who was like a football star. Like, gosh, it was just awful. I And also meeting with someone whose, you know, grandpa was the guy who raised them. They never had a dad. And he, even though he was 92, you know, this was his dad, you know, and so it doesn't make it hurt any less. You know what I mean? So all of these people were kind of facing the same thing and they were facing life without this person now. Um, sometimes, sadly, it was it was a relief for some people, which always kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. But I also can't, you can't blame them or shame them. I remember meeting with a dad and he was my dad's age, He, you know, and his daughter had taken her own life. And I'll never forget she was a... Um, a physical therapist. And um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but she ended up using a piece of her own equipment, which is a gate belt, which is a belt that's used in the medical field um, to put around someone's, basically around their chest, around their waist area, above their arms. And it's to tightly strap them in. It's a thicker belt. It almost feels like a karate belt, but thicker and wider. And it's to stabilize and be able to help a patient move from a bed to a chair, from a chair to a wheelchair, from a commode to a wheelchair and so on and forth. It's to give stability to the helper, to the nurse or to the physical therapist. Physical therapists use them a lot in physical therapy sessions, reteaching someone how to walk or stabilize, that sort of thing. So anyway, unfortunately, um, it was one of the things she used to take her own life with. And I, I remember being a little shaken only because she was my age. So uh, anytime I was taking care of, you know, someone that was deceased who was my age or younger, it was a little bit of a, I don't know, it was a little bit of a shaky experience because you're you're faced with mortality. You know, you're used to, unfortunately, seeing 
elderly people. You're used to going to the nursing home and picking someone up. You're used to going to a hospice facility and picking someone up. You're, you know, that kind of becomes the norm. But every once in a while, you're staring at someone your age. You're staring at someone younger. Or you're taking care of a wee little baby. Or something that's just not quote unquote normal in the realm of death. And uh, that was my experience with this young woman. She was my age at the time. I wanted to say I was probably 30, 31. And so was she. And I remember sitting in, I thought a whole family was going to come in because she was young. I thought maybe at least her parents, siblings, who, whomever. And it was just her dad. And he was uh, like a well-dressed businessman. He seemed very well put together. He also seemed very solemn. Like there was no odd behavior. And uh, he was very helpful. He had all of the information required. And we were just talking, uh, as I always do. I'm a little bit of a chatty Kathy, if you can't tell. And basically just hearing his heart, getting to know him, asking him questions about his daughter, what he loved about her, tell me about uh, what she was like as a kid, you know, that sort of a thing. Was she a middle child? Was she an, you know, an el- the oldest child, so on and so forth, an only child, you know? And, and he started to tell me about her with such um, love and affection. He started to talk about memories of her. And then he started to explain... Um, her battle with depression and anxiety when she became a teenager. And he said, you know, I'll always just remember this. It like just stuck with me. He said, you know, that, you know, she tried uh, multiple times to, to end her life. He, she, he, he said it was constant. He said at least, uh, you know, a dozen times she tried to end her life. And he said, um, she just, she succeeded this time. She was successful. He said, we tried so many times. We tried to get her all the help we needed. We brought her to facilities. We put her in programs. You know, you she was on medications, you name it. And he said, she tried so many times. She was successful. She was just, she succeeded this time. And so I just gave him my condolences and sat with him, you know, and just talked about her life and talked about who she was and what she was like. And he said, you know, I he started to apologize to me. And I just said, sir, you don't have to apologize. He said, I do. He said, I, I am wrestling with mourning the loss of my daughter, but also I'm wrestling with the relief that we don't have to deal with this anymore. And that is, was a very vulnerable, very real statement. There is a whole aspect of that type of mentality that people deal with in the loss of a loved one, uh, not even around, unfortunately, suicide or anything like that, but also around like long-term care. You have children who are taking care of their parents for years and years and years. And sometimes, you know, the parents unfortunately don't remember who they are. They become combative. They become mean. They fight. They don't have any memory. They become actually the opposite. They become vegetables. They are non-responsive at this point. And, you know, spouses and children and other people kind of take care of these people for years and years and years. And even though they're very sad that their loved one is gone, all of a sudden it's this burden is lifted off of their you know, off of them that, oh, like my life isn't revolved around keeping this person alive anymore, you know, and and I think there's a guilt. It's called survivor's remorse. They're just, they feel guilty that they 
don't have to take care of them. They feel guilty that they're relieved, you know? And so I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. I couldn't imagine the wrestle within myself of what that would feel like, of even the shame I'd be tempted to put myself under, you know, and vice versa. Um, I just, I couldn't imagine. And so it's been interesting to watch transition in people's lives from, you know, even that of like, oh, I don't have to worry about her anymore. You know, that's where that dad was coming from. was like, I don't have to fight for her to stay alive anymore. I don't have to put her in facilities. I was thinking about this and thought, my gosh, I'm curious about how much even, you know, and uh, to me, human life is the most precious thing on the planet. I feel like human life is priceless. It is worth everything you have. There is always hope. But I think about that man and think, I, I wonder how much money and finances he has poured into his daughter in programs and help and facilities and all of that stuff. Like just to think about that on a very like logical, basic level, you know, of what he did and the, the lengths he went as a father to take care of her and to just help try to keep her alive and keep her in their lives. And now he's being faced with a new variable, a new unknown is that she's no longer there. And I'm sure he was surprised at his own response and his own feelings of like, oh, my wife, you know, my wife can can move on eventually. Like he was saying things like that to me. It's like my wife is devastated, but also um, she's no longer going to, you know, not sleep at night because we don't know what she's going to do to herself or we don't know where she's at or we don't know if she's doing good or we don't, you know, he was like walking through all of these um scenarios of what it was like to be her parents and I'm sure he he was not complaining it was not him you know regretting anything it was just sitting and listening to this man process all of the feelings he was going through because he was now facing a new unknown he was facing and this had been his life for 15 years fighting for someone else to stay alive you know and he's now faced with a new reality of like, wow, I, I remember him even saying towards the end of like, you know, we were writing out the obituary and he was listing, she had a younger sister. And um, I said, is, you know, is the sister going to be okay? Like, you know, did, were they close? And he said, you know, he said for years we tried really hard to, um, you know, make sure that she wasn't being neglected because all of our time and energy energy was being poured into, you know, the, the deceased. Um he said, but, you know, we kind of get to pour our love and affection on her, he, you know, and that's what made him start to cry. He was like, I know that she's felt like, you know, second best. I know she's felt like we didn't love her as much. And he was like running through all of these emotions. And to think about what becomes a new normal for people um, is such a fascinating thing. Even for my own life, like there's so many things going to be in transition now. New job, um, as, as far as same job, new location. I'm only now five minutes away from my house. I haven't had that in, I don't know, eight or ten years. I don't. I actually don't think I've ever lived and worked at a place where they were only five minutes apart from one another. Uh, to think about just how that changes my life as far as that's something so minuscule, so tiny but so significant. I'm not in traffic for 45 minutes, 
twice a day. Like, think about how traffic makes people cranky. You know, I actually re- remember hearing a statistic on the radio when I lived in Chicago and it was talking about married couples. And they were saying that with they have like evidence that married couples that have to, if one partner or both partners have to commute uh, 45 minutes a day each way to work, that the risk of or the rate of divorce is like exponentially higher. And it's because people are so unhappy. They come home, they're kind of cranky, they're having, they're in a bad mood, you know, like that kind of a thing. And you tend to take it out on the people closest to you and it causes more fights and so on and so forth. They were talking about how traffic can affect marriage, which is wild. And so here I'm, I'm just delighted for the first time in a very long time. It takes me about five or seven minutes to get to work, depending on what time of day. Um, I can come home for lunch, like so helpful um, but also being faced with like, okay, new, new living with new people, my best friends, you know, are going to be in different areas. Now we're kind of going to be scattered a little bit, still going to be able to, you know, be together and hang out what, you know, one of my best friends, Alana just keeps, um, <laughs> she keeps reassuring me like we hung out more together when we didn't live together than we did when we lived together. So she was like, it's going to be fine. I'm like, you're right. It's going to be fine. There's just a lot of transition, you know? Uh, I am talking to a guy, which is new for me, um, and I'm a little smitten. And so uh, I won't go into too much detail about anything just for the simple fact that it's fairly new. But, you know, I am older and I'm 38, like I keep saying, and I kind of know what I'm looking for. And he's 41 and he also knows what he's looking for. So I can see this kind of being something that potentially... uh, builds quicker and faster than normal. I'm not I'm not 20 years old anymore. I'm not 25. I'm not interested in dating somebody for years and years before deciding what I want. Kind of know what I'm looking for. So uh, with that in mind, there is a potential of new things happening, changing and uh, molding into something new, which is totally different. You know, my free time looks different right now. A lot of the time is spent, you know, spending time with him, talking, talking with him and getting to know one another. And so uh, even that in and of itself has changed the outlook of my day, you know? Um, So I just sit and think about the tension of transition. And sometimes the buildup to the point of transition is way scarier than the actual transition itself. Does that make sense? Like, you're waiting for the worst thing to happen or you think it's going to be the worst thing or you think it's going to just tank your life or you think it's going to, you know, I don't know, your your buildup of it being scary is actually scarier than the actual thing happening itself. So um, learning to accept transition with open arms or even just like not jumping in but more so okay, I'm going to just wait with expectancy to see what happens. I know when I talked about the six-year relationship in one of my previous episodes, um, when I worked at this grocery store before I was in management, um, (laughs) we had a group of girls come in, and I was at the register, and I was just ringing them up. They were visiting Nashville um, for a party, you know, like a girl's weekend or whatever. And so I was asking them a lot of questions. Hey, like, so what are you guys doing this weekend? What's going on? And, you know, what's this party for? And what are you guys celebrating? And one of the girls finally chimed in and she said, well, 
Um, I just had to end my, my two and a half year relationship with my boyfriend. So this is a trip to like, just make me feel better. And I went and got her flowers and gave her flowers. And I just said, can I talk, can I tell you something? And she said, yeah. And I said, I dated a guy for six years and I kind of gave her a quick, a quick run over of what happened in the story. And I said, you know, it was devastating for me to have to break up with him because I thought my whole entire future was wrapped up in him. I said, but can I tell you? And can I reassure you that breaking up with him was one of the best decisions of my whole entire life. It was the best thing I ever did. And so I just kind of reiterated like what happened. I went back to school. I got my degree. I traveled. I've been to so many different countries. I moved here. I moved there. I moved, you know, I told her all the places I lived. I told her what I did. And I said, none of that would have happened. None of it would have happened if I would have stayed with him. So let me encourage you, you know, and she was like, oh, my God, can we take a picture together? Like this made me feel so much better. Thank you so much. And so, you know, sometimes the buildup of transition or the thought of things looking different, especially your life looking different, can be really, really, really scary. But hear me when I say that it could possibly be one of the best decisions of your whole life. It could be one of the best things to ever happen to you. And I'm not in particular talking about the tragedy of death, someone's life, and the loss of someone's life, I should say. But I am telling you that family and transition in life of things maybe just even looking a little bit different, new job, new place to live, maybe a, a friendship, you know, looking different or a relationship ending or a new relationship starting or all of those things that maybe we feel like we've kind of lost control of in a sense of other people deciding things and moving on. Can I, if that that's you, if that sounds like you, it's like, well, my boyfriend broke up with me or my girlfriend told me she needed a break or my best friend's moving to another state or I just got let go from my job or I just got laid off or I didn't, I'm waitlisted in this program at school or whatever it may be. I just want to encourage you that to embrace the tension of transition um, because on the other side of it could be maybe some of the best things that ever happened to you. Um, it could lead to more. It could lead to greater. It could lead to the best. My dad always says, you know, Bethany, don't let what's good stop you from getting great or stop you what from getting the great thing. So basically saying, you know, the known is good. It's okay. It's comfortable. Right now you're comfortable. You're all right. You know, you know life. You know about it. It's not, nothing's new, nothing's unknown. But sometimes because of the comfort of it, we refuse to move out of it. Um, but really sometimes greatness is the option. You just have to be able to be brave enough to get out of it. So I hope that made sense to you all. Uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. I would love some feedback, um, from these episodes. If you're ever interested in giving them, I have an Instagram page. It's called like me, like you official. If you want to get on there and follow me, I would be so delighted and, uh, to connect with you. Uh, let me know what y'all think, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you next week. Bye.